Welcome back to another episode of Call to the Table. We are a group of goofy friends who like to talk about Jesus and all other things under the sun that he has created. I'm Liv. I'm John. I'm Jordan. And I'm Caroline. And today we are finishing up our hot seat series by putting Caroline in the hot seat. I'm going to die. <laughs> so, Caroline. What is your deepest, darkest secret? Oh, my goodness. John, shut up. <laughs> well, it all started when I was born a Labrador puppy. Um, are you telling me you have a tail? <laughs> I do, and it's unfortunately very big. Oh, heavens. Jeez, I'm working on losing weight, people. Why? You're beautiful. It's the booty part that I'm concerned with. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty good. I gotta give you that. I was waiting for that. All right. So, Caroline. Yes. What were, when you were growing up, what were the Christian influences that you were getting? Whether it was at home or at school or, you know. Whatever. And how did that influence kind of impact you? So nothing at school because I went to a public school and uh, it, it was all at home and church because both my mom and dad were very, very uh, active in the church that we were going to at the time. Uh, I mean, it, it was just, man, it was up in Smyrna. It's not even a church now. I don't I don't remember. Anyway, is there was some drama llama stuff going on at the Peachtree City Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, so they're like, mm, let's just go to Smyrna for a little while. So that was the first church that I went to as a baby. Um, uh, mom and dad uh, were very concerned with me having a positive Christian experience, which I very much so did. Um it was largely a uh, part of uh, Veggie Tales <laughs> was very big as far as like watching things. Uh, also, uh, any good movies that they thought were not uh, Chronicles of Narnia, like hands down, they got me into that as soon as possible, and I never got my teeth out of it. Uh, the Nest Entertainment series was also super super big, uh, just because I I loved their Old Testament and New Testament videos. It's kind of funny because they're actually made by Mormons, uh, and to see that same stylized Jesus in a, a Mormon video was a new experience for me when I was older. Um, but uh, I mean they they had a lot of books still have a lot of those books just because they're so dang good. Uh, Mom would read to me every night, uh, if not from something Christian, uh, then just something she thought was good for me. And I mean, like literally every single night. So I had a very, very positive experience. I never felt like anything was shoved down my throat. Mom always, I mean, she, she encouraged me to do the right thing. But she let me make up my mind about some things. And I really appreciate that because I never felt like I was being thrown into a box or anything. Just a very positive experience. What can I say? So how do you feel like that impacted you in your as you were developing a relationship with Christ? I was allowed I was shown, you know, this is the way we do things. I was allowed to make up my own mind about things. 
And so I feel like it's a lot easier for me to say, well, okay, there, there's a, there's a flip side to this. I'm not going to say I've only ever known this way of thinking, but it, it's sort of choosing Christ has been I'm trying to figure out the best way to say it. Okay. So me versus somebody who just came to God completely fresh, didn't know anything about him, how sometimes they, they've, all right, let's do prodigal son. Let's do prodigal son. The prodigal son had a much more, I'm going to say vivid experience with, uh, his father, just because he did go through all of that junk and then went to God. Um, and I've been more like the older brother who has been there for a while. So my experience has been getting to know Jesus from this same side. And despite not having a whole lot of vivid, wow, I've been saved from this experiences, uh, still getting to know him as that God even if it means he's just saving me from smaller experiences or or different, less radical experiences. He didn't pull me from drugs. He's Uh always been with me and I've always known about him. He's just helping me from me. If that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. I feel like I'm just throwing stuff at a wall right now, hoping something sticks. (laughs) How many? Please understand me. Please understand me. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I'm. That makes total sense to me. So, at what point did you, whether it was in your childhood or your teenage years, as we kind of start transitioning, did you ever have that like aha moment where you like knelt down and you prayed that prayer specifically for the Lord to come into your life? Not really. Um, which I feel like it's like, oh, wow, she's the different one from all of them now. Uh, because <laughs> mine, I had a few experiences as a kid where I, it's like I, I put on my serious cap and was thinking about what it really would be like, I would say more for uh, when Jesus comes back and heaven, uh, specifically when I was obsessed with Beanie Babies. And uh, I forced my poor parents on a few occasions I had a laundry bag full of every single Beanie Baby that I owned, and I took it to Disney World with me. And I did absolutely nothing with it, and they were like, uh, see? See? You didn't need them. And so I sort of had this mental picture of me dragging that bag up to heaven with me as I'm being lifted into the air. And I think that was the Holy Spirit going, you're not really gonna need it, you know, hun? And that kind of got me thinking about temporal things, uh, which was, I'd say big for the child. Uh, but there's, there's that. Um, I was baptized when I was wait, 10 or 12. I'm trying to remember. It was on my birthday. Anyway, somewhere between those years. And, uh, I, I don't think I really understood the whole experience. And as far as like what it, for what it really was, I, I wanted to do it, and this is going to sound terrible, because other people in the church were doing it. And I, I was like, I want to show that I'm, you know, a good person too, that I'm like them, you know. 
it's like two of the popular girls did it and I was like I'm a good Christian too and so I did it and I'm not saying that I didn't have any relationship with God it was just a very rudimentary one so to speak Mm -hmm. I really started to understand and get more into understanding about God when I was a teen like specifically when I was reading more Christian works uh like in high school on my own time my dad talked to me about some stuff he'd read and my mom did and so I started reading those books on my own time and that's when I felt like my eyes were opened up a little bit more and I wanted to really know what my faith was. And so that's why I went to uh, one of my uh, denominations universities, uh, which was just hop, skip and a jump from Georgia to Tennessee. So yeah, that uh, I'm jumping into the next question. Yes. So I'm going to ask a question that that is actually in the teenage years, but I know because I know you so well that it more came in your childhood. Was there anything that really challenged like how we have talked about it before was going through the kind of the teenage struggles. But again, because I know you, was there any struggle or any event in your life that really kind of challenged your Christian faith? So I guess it did, but it didn't, it didn't make me want to lose faith. It well, just say changed what it is. me. I know, I know. It's just wanted to address that anyway. Um, So my dad committed adultery and uh, my parents got a divorce. My mom didn't want it. She wanted to stay together. She wanted to go to counseling and see it through. But he, I've learned now, had uh, undiagnosed clinical depression. And he also uh, had a midlife crisis. That's essentially what it was. And mom wanted to work with him through it. But he didn't and he found consolation in the arms of someone else and he wasn't driven back into the arms of his loving wife and child and so he went crazy for a while that's all i can say he was not like himself uh i was very happy when he left the house though because it felt like well i mean he he'd been acting really like he was yelling he wasn't hitting or anything he was just angry all the time and just felt like finally a storm left. And I, I I was the one who actually figured out what was going on. They didn't tell me. They they didn't want to upset me too much. But it's like, I mean, I kind of want to know what's going on. Mom was not the one who told me that he was with another woman. I was the one who figured that out. Mom was not the one who told me who the other woman was. I was the one who figured that out. You know, it it, it I would say maybe it impacted my relationship with God in the long run, but at the time I was just trying to tread water and survive, which, you know, as a 10 year old, that has a very specific effect on you. And it made me into a very angry person. And I didn't realize that it made me into a very angry person because I have, (laughs) until I guess this year when I've really thought about it, uh, my anger was all internalized. It was not in any way externalized. I've never been a person for yelling or screaming or, I don't know, any of the visible, you know, anger things. Because if I do get angry, I cry. And that doesn't help (laughs) when it's like, I'm angry. I want to be angry. No, tears are coming instead. That anger, that unexpressed, 
I'm just going to call it for it was rage, blinding rage at my father, that, that righteous, uh, fury all became internalized. And that's when I started having my first, uh, intrusive thoughts, um, which was, you know, a sign of mental illness. I'm not bipolar. I know that, uh, intrusive thoughts can be a sign of that, but it has to go along with my anxiety. Dad got the, uh, depression end of the spectrum and I got the anxiety, which I'll talk about later because that has to do with college. But I mean, my intrusive thoughts, just because I, I do have such a positive view on my faith, um, they were about my faith and uh, really just random blasphemous thoughts were going in my head. And I was like, what is this? Am I possessed? Is, you know, I, I didn't know what it was. I, I still can't believe that it's a sign of mental illness. Like, I, I never knew that the brain could be that way, but I think I get I get it now. I was so angry. There had to be some outlet and the outlet just happened to be it myself, which like I said, the brain is weird. I, I still don't get how it works entirely, but that was the epiphany that I actually came to this year. I was just talking about it with my mother and then all of a sudden, ding, wow, that's a new way to look at things. And I, uh, I wasn't trying to fool anybody. I was just trying to be the perfect kid through this whole thing. I, even fooled the therapist that mom took me to a couple of times. They thought I was doing fabulous just because I was, you know, I was like, okay, this is like acing a test. I want to ace this. I want them to see what a good girl I am. And that's not why I was there. That was not what I was supposed to be. <laughs> I was there. But yeah, so that, that was one of the biggest things aside from my maternal grandmother coming to live with us for a little while because I mean she was one of the people who raised me but as she got older and she fell twice and broke her hips on each separate occasion uh the pain was making her worse um living in the house with someone you had to walk around on eggshells with that that was also very difficult but the the defining moment in my childhood was the divorce and the fact that I knew it was adultery, that there was another woman involved, that rage has stayed with me for years. And I didn't realize it was rage until I got older. So, so yeah, moving after going through that and kind of moving into your teenage years, how did your relationship, not how did, but did your relationship with the Lord change or did you kind of just stay stagnant of the, the disconnect a little bit? I wouldn't even call it a disconnect. I would call it a, I wasn't even as a kid, I just wasn't very deep. I knew all of it and I had the head knowledge, but I was very, I guess, willful in my likes and dislikes. And I mean, I just, I wanted to be a Disney girl you know, I knew God existed. I knew this was the way things were, but you know, it, it just, I had my own priorities, which shows that, you know, there's, there is such a thing as the age of understanding for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I was, I was not happy that I was having these random blasphemous thoughts for no reasons and that I would go through life in a fog, but you know, I really didn't, it, it's, it stayed as it was. Let's just put it that way. It it was, it just was. 
you know, I hadn't really moved forward and I hadn't really moved backward. I was where I was essentially when I was a very little kid, which is what can happen to you when a very big negative event like that happens. So you're saying that you kind of just stayed the same throughout your teenage years? I mean, as my, it's funny, I think my hormones took over because I started having like less, less and less when I got into high school. When I was in middle school, it was awful. Like I was in a fog all the time. It was terrible. But I guess it was my hormones. I I started growing up and my brain had to adjust and uh, I started having them less and less in high school. But I I did start thinking more, so to speak. Uh, The more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. But I was, I don't know, I wasn't in a big like decision making place, if that makes sense. Yeah. Total sense. So before we move into your college years, a word from our sponsors. Do what? Here's a word from our sponsors. Ta-da. Ta-da. Um, no, we don't have sponsors. No, I know. Um, I was joke. Kidding. Kidding. This, joke. We don't have any group texts right now, but because Liv and Nobody John have been listening intently, I'm just going to give them an opportunity if they have any questions for you. JG, are you good? I'm good for right this second. Liv, are you good? Yeah, I don't have any questions yet. Yet. That's rare for you, Liv. Well, I feel like Caroline... She's absorbing me in. Yeah, and I feel like you're very um, thorough in talking about your younger years. I think I, I mostly have more questions in the stage of life that I feel is probably more developmental, developmental, whatever the word is. Um, <laughs> my coffee has not kicked in yet. <laughs> Hurry coffee kick in. I think I have more questions moving into the seasons of life that really did had uh, a lot of impact on your, on you personally coming up. Like I, I, I know that all of the things that you're talking about now have had a huge impact on your development moving to this point, but most of my questions are going to come there. All right. So moving on. So you're a more normal teenager now. Normal teenager. You've met me because I intruded into your life. Yeah, you did. (laughs) And, And... Now you are going to college. How did the end of high school slash going into college, what was your relationship with Christ and what it, was there anything that kind of shook that? And yeah. Well, okay. We, we need to talk about this in a different way because at this point, I still don't have a well-defined relationship with him. Okay. Like, I'm not going to say at all, but not in the sense of what people would normally think. We need to think about this in the terms of, is Caroline stable at this point, and what has she learned? <laughs> so, uh, going off to college, I mean, I hadn't even been on sleepovers for that long before. Because this, and this is something everybody in the audience needs to know. I am an only child. I grew up on a street that had literally no children, just all old people. Uh, Mom and dad did not let me have uh, 
people over frequently just because they were busy people. Uh, My grandmother could not drive, so she could not take me to play dates. I was very, very alone as a kid. Until me. And so uh, best friends, quote unquote, would sort of come in and out of my life. They never stayed like really my best friend, not like what I wanted. I mean, you know, Anne of Green Gables, bosom friends. Like, I wanted that. And nobody, nobody but the actual redhead in my life actually gave me that. You know what I mean? And I didn't really give you a choice, so. No, you didn't give me a choice. But you know what? I'm okay with that. (laughs) So anyway, here we have not very well socialized Caroline going to uh, college, a stay-over college uh, where I would be, you know, living for four years by myself with strangers. I'm not very good with just making friends on the fly. Yeah. Oh, and on top of that, that summer I was diagnosed with a hormone disorder that I'm very certain is hereditary called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. When I didn't have my monthly for three months, they were like, put her on birth control before she gets blood poisoning. And it's like, that was so the very first day I'm there by myself had been the very first day I'd taken uh, birth control. And so I was a literal crying mess just because of the flood of hormones in my body. It was the first time I'd been gone from home for an extended period of time. Here I am in a new place, no friends, no anchor, no nothing. This kind of defined the next four years. <laughs> uh, just that I was not in any way, shape, or form adjusted to this especially in a more adult sense, like, and the fact that I was suddenly at a religious school, which I'd never been to before at all, which of course had its ups as well as its downs. And the downs are what stayed with me for longer because I had never, I never really experienced the, I don't want to say the, the, the way that the pendulum swings. I'd never really experienced the far right or the far left of my religion. I had just been in my home and experienced what I had experienced, which I very much like so now see was very, very moderate. And for that, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful <laughs> because it, it prevented me from having an extremist view when I was a child. But because I, I was born a perfectionist, my parents didn't make me one way or the other. I just was. I made up my mind when I was a kid in school, well, if I can't have friends, I'll be good at something so that people like me, so I'm going to get all A's. And that transferred into my religious experience in college. Yay! (laughs) And so it's like I started learning some good things. I really, really did. Uh, I had a class, uh, it was like a, just a month class that you could get, I don't remember if it was for free or for what, but so I was up in July instead of in August. And it was called The Life and Teachings of Jesus. We read all four Gospels. It got me thinking about a lot of good stuff. It was great. But then as my experience wore on, and I saw sort of both sides of the coin, I tended to go much more right-minded because, like I said, uh, perfectionism, which leads to panic, which leads to a really awful experience in general. And so I, I really didn't know where to go for a lot of things. And uh, 
I met one of my best friends there. Well, she she is unfortunately all the way in Wisconsin right now. But our personalities didn't mesh as well as I thought they were. And uh, it's this is nothing against her. This is everything about... I didn't realize at the time that I was trying to make her into the new Jordan. <laughs> because I, I missed Jordan so much. And our uh, the way things worked and the way she was... Uh, opening the world up to me, so to speak, by being my friend. And I developed a codependent relationship on uh, my best friend in college. And it was bad. And I was just a miserable person. Let's just put it that way. I was a horrible, Let's just miserable be frank person. Here, I'm irreplaceable. So you trying to replace me. I mean, it's you true. You trying to replace me was not okay. It's true. But it was... I didn't realize I was trying to do that, okay? It was not something that I said, yeah, this is definitely going to work. It's not like I'm building a mud sculpture in the corner and talking to it under my breath, you know? Although, essentially, that's kind of what mentally I'd turn into. I, I was not getting good sleep at all. I was an animation student the first year, and um, I at times I feel like it really bent the edges of my insanity. I'd never been sleep-deprived before, ever, at all. You know, usually experience that as a teenager. I had not. <laughs> I had not at all. Uh, that was the first time I had experienced real failure in, in being able to do something in school. And that really hurt the little perfectionist in me because that's literally what I had based my identity, identity on, which is not good. And I hadn't learned that until, you know, later not having anybody to have fights with and uh, disagreements with as a young person also caught up with me because now I'm suddenly living with strangers who disagree with the way that I live or want to do other things than what I want to do. And I just was, you know, I, I kind of shut down mentally for four years. I, I was not in a good place at all. I had a breakdown over a paper, people. I had a breakdown over a history paper that was not suddenly birthed from my brain. And the fact that I had to put in, I'm not going to say real work, but like slave away at it, try to figure out what, you know, instead of it just being, you know, birth of Venus in my brain, like a lot of stuff typically was and sometimes is, you know, I, I it, it broke me. It really did. And I mean, there's something I do miss from at least the last year. Well, no, no, no. It happened a few years before. What was keeping me at least from going completely off the deep end was the fact that God had gotten me in the habit of reading my Bible every morning. And I would go to the cafeteria and read my Bible every morning in a little corner by myself. He is what kept me from literally losing my marbles at school because I saw every different shade of things. And I went, far right, I broke the pendulum. And uh, that has had very negative consequences on my mental health and my life in general. Because uh, when I got back from college, it's like all of that stress finally caught up to me. And my body was like, you're in a safe environment now. Okay, let's completely fall apart. And uh, a month after I got home, I had my first panic attack. And it came out of nowhere. And, well, actually, no. No, hold on. The first one, I was at the church helping them clean up stuff from uh, school. Because we have a little church school. And I found a book 
I still don't understand why my denomination or any denomination should do this, but it was supposed to be one of those missionary stories where it's like, oh, they've dealt with actual demons and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I was curious and I read it and I had a panic attack because I thought I was about to be possessed or something. And when really I was dehydrated and hungry, but a few days after that, I had my first, I mean, I was just trying to get ready to go to bed. And then I felt like I was falling on the floor and about to die. And mom took me to the um, ER. They told her it was just a panic attack, that it would go away. It didn't go away. I had a panic attack, I want to say, for a straight month. It was literal hell. I, I have never been through anything as horrifying as that at all. Uh, I mean, Jordan can tell you. Uh, this was when she was, because Jordan is, you're two years behind for like the, the yes. schooling time, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I went with Jordan once uh, to uh, her college that she was for, at for the first two years. And um, they, they just were trying to distract me. And it's like my brain would stop for a little bit and I would be able to kind of halfway function, but it always felt like I was on the edge of a knife. And that one thought or one feeling would escalate into a panic attack. And I started having one there. I had one like maybe two or three times. I don't know. Sleep was my only escape, my literal only escape from everything. But then I would wake up and it's like, uh oh, I'm still in that, that way where my brain, I mean, brain on fire. That's what it was. It felt like my brain was on fire the whole time. And then we, my uh, mental health doctor that uh, we got to, they, they took me to, finally nailed down the right prescription for me. And I, peace, actual peace. And then I started building my life up, like actually building my life up because college was, it was a trial by fire for me. It was so different from anything that I'd ever experienced before. It forced me to grow. But it was kind of like I was in that gross metamorphic stage where you're still a blob of something inside of the shell <laughs> instead of the butterfly type experience. And I maybe I emerged too early. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. Really, it was only in my uh, adult life, in my 20s, that I started to become who I wanted to be. And I'm going to assume that you wanted to, I don't know, Jordan. Uh, <laughs> I mean, question if you want to, if you want to do the transitions, that's fine. But then, you know, that takes out my job. I know, but I, I don't want to jump the gun on something you have an outline for a reason. I mean, you gun jumper. <laughs> from which that's gun? Right, which John. I have a jump rope from? made out of guns. Um. So you are a month out of college. And, you know, finally have gotten kind of the right prescription for you to help with your brain being on fire, because that's not fun. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, coming from, from my perspective, I do remember this. And I do remember just you were miserable. And yeah. And we couldn't figure out. I mean, I, I was like, where is this coming from? Why is this coming from? Now I learned it's just my body. It was my body's way of responding to trauma. Yeah. I'd gone through so much crap in college that it was like, okay, time to fall apart. <laughs> so we have, you know, 
you're back home and you're kind of getting back into the swing of things of being at home and how from then to now, what did that look like and how did the Lord play Lord good grief. How did the Lord play a role in that? Oh, Liv has a question. I thought you said Lord. I thought you said Lord. I, I didn't said hear you say Lord. And then I was like, there's a D at the end of that the word. The lore of the Lord. Okay. Yes. Yes, so, Liv. I'm terrified. Hold on. We're going to let Liv ask her question real fast. Okay. Caroline, when you were first having these panic attacks, you, you had mentioned that you had read this book on possession and demons, and then you were you know, experiencing your panic attacks and anxiety, what was one of your first thoughts when you, you were actually diagnosed and clarity was given? What was one of your first thoughts as far as like conversations with the Lord? Because that, like, I know that when some people get that resolution and they're like, oh, okay, sometimes people turn to learn like, okay, wait, why did you do this? Or they're like, oh, thank the Lord that it's not X, Y, and Z and that this is clear. So I was just curious on like what your thought process was. Wow. Thought process was. I would say mine was probably a mixture. Um, and I've had more clarity, of course, as I've gone along in life that a lot of what I've had to deal was inherited. A lot of it also had to do with events totally outside of my own realm, something that I couldn't have prevented at all, which was my childhood stuff, which also kind of plays into my college experience. I was not in any ways prepared for my college experience. And so I reacted purely how I, you know, I, I, I had nothing to base the experience on. And so I reacted the way I reacted. I did not know. I, I didn't do it out of anything malicious. I did it because I was in survival mode. I didn't realize I was in survival mode, but I was. And so after, well, it all started when I was 10. So let's see, I got out of college when I was 22. So after 12 years of hell, uh, my body just kind of gave up. And being able to actually take a medicine and my brain go quiet and my, my body not, like sense of impending doom is an actual medical thing. It is the most terrifying thing ever because it's literally just your body pumping your brain full of liquid fear. But the fact that it's real, I mean mind mind blower, mind opener, that I wasn't this broken beyond broken person, that there wasn't something wrong with me, that it was a lot of things leading up to that and that learning about, uh, it's good that I learned about the book of Job when I was in college, because that helps me see that, I mean, yes, theoretically, God can prevent some things, and he does, but a lot of it has to do with what our first uh, parents decided to do, and he has allowed their decision to play out, and there's the great controversy to think about, too, and sometimes I, God doesn't want us to hurt because he hurts when we hurt, but we're able to be better people sometimes because we've gone through those experiences and I'm actually kind of grateful for it. I mean, I, I never want to have one again. 
because I have had relapses and it's normally been because of my health and I, I had too much sugar or I actually had something really stressful going on and I didn't realize that it was affecting me like that. But, um, it, it's helped me be a much more aware person. It's helped me see that my thoughts and patterns have tended towards this and that some of the things that I thought were right as a child were wrong and that this is what's healthy. This is what's right. And I mean, God will use, and I know this probably sounds cruel and it's not supposed to be, but God will use whatever he can to help get you into a healthy place. And I'm not where I perfectly want to be right now. I I want to be in a habit of reading my Bible every day of, of, communing with him more deeply every day. I mean, I'm glad that I know what I know and that I have studied what I've studied, but I don't want to, I don't want to ride on my laurels, so to speak. I I want to have that deeper, better relationship with him that kind of got, I'm not going to say it got broken, but it's like I had stage one and then you move on to a stage two, how sometimes you have to break something to make it even str- glow stick my glow stick needed to be broken more why don't we put it that way so if that makes even any sense no, uh, yeah, am i rambling at am i rambling at this point did i answer the question i think my question was geared towards more of like your conversation with the lord post realization so if you recall that conversation i'm just curious on like all of that made sense Totally made sense. Okay. (laughs) So when you came to that realization, was there anger towards God? Was there like acceptance towards God? Like what was that conversation like between you and God post-diagnosis? I think what I've realized is that there's a matter of trust with God that hasn't been there. It's not anger. It's, it's, and I think, Part of that has to do with the fact that he he identifies as male, and I haven't had some really good male relationships in my life, and so it's it's not anger, it's trust, and being able to really say, I know you'll help me with this, and put myself fully in him, because he did help me out of all of that. He did help me. It's just, you know, there's that little kid part of you that when you trust someone to help you, it immediately happens. You know, the the thing is fixed, the bad guy goes away, and I had to, and have had to since then with relapses, live through that experience again. And it's learning to trust God in the way that he works and seeing how he works, that has been a struggle for me. But reading about other people's struggles and the way that he does help people, the the way that the more consistent I see him in stories and other people's experiences, the more that fulfills my longing for that pure trust and understanding. And the fact that he encourages it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is, come now, let us reason together. And I know after that, it talks about, you know, though your sin be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. But just let us reason together. God wants you to ask questions. God wants you to not just wonder, but have a dialogue. I mean, sometimes that means getting very angry at him. And that 
it gives me such comfort that people have gotten angry with him and that he doesn't just, you know, shoot a lightning bolt out of the tip of his finger. It, it's just, it's so nice. So mostly trust. A little anger maybe, but it, it doesn't just have to do with the panic attacks. It has to do with life, everything that I've been through. And I mean, I, I do think it's gotten better. I mean, considering I'm able to say all of this, <laughs> you know, with a straight face, although I will say sometimes the logical part of my brain, uh, beats the emotional part of my brain and the emotional part of my brain sometimes holds on to things and I have to talk the emotional brain out of letting things go you know it's it's a process it is a process but that's kind of what I've been working with so Caroline John has kind of an ADD question well I'm gonna wait a little longer but okay so I've been trying to listen to see if I could hear exactly when but was there you said when you were 12, when you got baptized, you didn't truly understand the meaning behind it at the time. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember I, I had this sort of thought of, wow, when I'm dunked underwater, like, literally my sins are this, you know, washed, like, like a clean slate sort of thing. I had that realization, but, you know, I wasn't really thinking about baptism as what it truly is, So you know. The question I'm asking is more in the sense of, when do you feel like you reached that age of atonement? Because you said that you necessarily didn't have it at that point. And did you truly accept Christ as your Lord and Savior at that point? Is it weird to say that I've reached that point multiple times in college? Uh, no, because yeah, I think I I've done that. There, there were multiple occasions where it felt like I had reached a point of understanding for some reason or, or whatever. And I feel like that still happens and that I've, I've had to learn about what it means to truly be saved. One of the Christian writers that I like a lot, Ellen White, uh, she, what she said about, um, salvation made a lot of sense to me in that you're not supposed to focus on whether or not you're saved. You're supposed to believe that God does save you. And that he's going to work with you despite the fact that you still have sin in you. The more you focus on your own sin, the less you're going to focus on what he wants you to be and what he can help turn you into. Don't, don't think about yourself. Think about God. Think about how you can help other people. The less you think about yourself, the better. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be introspective. It just means, because for me, I'm hyper introspective. And so for me, it's, yeah, don't think about yourself so much just because you are so ridiculously hyper-introspective. The more you focus on your own flaws, the harder it will be for you to move on. And uh, so that's been a real helping point for me to understand my own salvation and how it works. I think the other part of it, too, going off of kind of the comment that Liv said about you know her doing it multiple times, and I feel like I've done it multiple times, I feel like it also is we have realizations as we go into new seasons of life of, oh, this is who Christ is now in this season. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And That's so it. it's, That's exactly it's it. more of, you know, developing that relationship. I don't think for any of us, for any four of us, that we ever had a moment where it was... Yeah, it was a single single moment. moment. Our relationship has continued to grow. We all were raised knowing that the Lord was our, our savior. And, you know, me, I had a kind of aha moment of I needed to get baptized and really make that 
visual proclamation and John had that moment as well, you know, where it's, oh my goodness, I need to, I need to let others see what the decision that I've made. But as far as an internal decision, I think we've all had more of a continual thing of, yeah, like I said, where we've moved into a new season of life and it's like, okay, this is how the Lord is going to be now. I mean, John has a very confused look on his face. And so because that's not how I think of it. What I'm saying is John, your relationship for me, in my opinion, your relationship with the Lord changed once we got married. Yes. But to me, that is completely different than the question I'm asking. Because for me, it's a, even though my relationship changed, I always, I always think back to the moment when I first believed. I'm always able to take that back. You know, it's always where it's the start point. Yeah, I don't have that. I don't have a single moment. And I think that's okay. Again, that more goes into how each of us were raised, if that makes any sense. You know, and to me, it's one of those, like, this is, this is going to be a difference in probably theology. <laughs> I'm going to just flat out say that. Liv is just dying right now. Hurry up, John. But, I mean, it's one of those, to me, I feel like, don't miss heaven by, I've heard this, don't miss heaven by 18 inches. Don't have the knowledge of it, but not have it imprinted in your heart. Right, so, but, well, I don't know, what are you trying to say, what, John? What's the point? I'm sorry. The whole, you can have knowledge, you can do works in his name, but if it's not, if you don't, haven't actually had that acceptance into your heart, you may or may not. I'm not but it's not for you to make that decision. No, I'm not. Well, I mean, that, no, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not true. trying to sit here and say that is, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm kind of curious about how, if it's just, because she always talks about, I studied, I had the knowledge, it's. But where I haven't heard too much of imprint on the heart. And I was just curious if there was something specific. Oh, well, it, uh, that's no, no, no. And that's what I was talking about, though. I see what you mean. But no, I, I had that heart knowledge multiple times in different ways in, like y'all like to say, different seasons. Different realizations where I would ask God for that new knowledge and that new salvation, yeah. if that makes sense. Because I realized that extra level where I needed him. So, no, that that is what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about I had a moment of clarity about like this particular aspect of belief or something. No, no, no. It was about who he was, how he could save me, that kind of thing. Okay. You don't sound satisfied. It's just, it's more of we, again, we typically know what. Liz I know, down. poor Liv. <laughs> yes, go ahead, Liv. <laughs> Guys, I wish you could see it. It's just, it's flickering on and off and on right and now. On. We're not all together. Hopefully in the next episode we'll be able to be together. But so on the the site that we're using, shout out to Zencaster, there's a little thing where you can press to raise your hand and Liv's little hand button is like lighting up she's now twice gone so i know i'm sorry (laughs) sorry Liv. it's okay my coffee is kicked in and i also just want to insert something into this conversation (laughs) 
So I completely agree with both sides of this conversation right now. Heart knowledge between head knowledge. No, I wasn't (laughs) going to say but. I agree with both sides. I think the confusion and I think the thing that people need to recognize is depending on your walk with the Lord, there's going to either be multiple pinpoints like myself where I said I accepted Christ, I got baptized, and then I didn't think that I – like I couldn't recall when I – accepted Christ. So I did it again. And then the Lord put me on my face at 20. And then since then, like I use that moment as my redemptive and redemption story. I use my 20 year old self because I was old enough to like fully make that decision on my own with the Holy Spirit kind of hitting me upside the head saying, Hey, uh, (laughs) stupid, you're not living the life that you're supposed to be living. I think that that's like, John, that's where my, for me personally, that's where my story has that pinpoint moment, even though I had asked for forgiveness and I had asked for the Lord to come into my heart two times prior to, I think I also agree where I'm, I'm, you know, sitting in the same boat with John and I'm curious on like where there was a specific moment for you, Caroline, of in your in your adult life, is there a moment where you can pinpoint like the Lord put you on your face and said, I want this? Or it was it just a continuously gradual thing with the Lord in your knowledge and seeking of knowledge? Because I agree, I think, you know, we can miss God by 18 inches. I think a lot of people in the world right now sit back and say, oh, I know the Lord. I, you know, accept the Lord. I hear the Lord. Like it's all in my head, but they don't recognize that the relationship is so much bigger than the religion of their walk with God. And I feel like sometimes, and I'm not saying this about you specifically, Caroline, I'm speaking in a broad spectrum. No, I know. I know. I think a lot of people associate religion with knowledge and relation with heart. And if they don't have the relationship with God and they live out a religious lifestyle, that's where it starts getting a little muddy in the 18 inches. You're going to miss the Lord. So, Oh, yeah. No, I agree entirely. Yeah. And just going back and asking, like, was there, you know, with with John, was there a specific moment that you can recall that would be like your 20 year old Olivia self being put on your face. Like that's what, that was my specific moment. Um, or, you know, is it, is it just gradual? There's my <laughs> question. Thank you. That's okay. I would really call it more gradual, but I have, there was one specific moment in college senior year uh, where I kind of felt like my, that, that one SpongeBob episode where you see his brain like literally break in two. So it was my, I, I'd had a few jobs, quote unquote, at the campus, but they were all tiny and I was paranoid about making sure they were perfect. And one of them was for a teacher that I greatly admired and I was going to be her grader, but she didn't really have a strict grading system. And on top of that, she was also going through a lot of crap. And I just, I felt like I didn't have a lot of guidance and I wanted to, of course, grade those papers perfectly. And so uh, my brain kind of broke and she got really, really mad at me and because uh, apparently I'd forgotten to do something and I, I just felt like my life was over. It was the first semester of senior year. I was convinced I was going to have to move schools uh, that I don't know that my life was over. 
you know, nothing like that had ever happened before. And so I threw myself on God as a last ditch attempt. And I I, I don't mean to say it like that, but it was like, all right, I'm literally going to have to just throw myself completely at you, God, because I, I just, I can't see any other way out of this. And this was right before Christmas break and in the car ride home, right before sunset, uh, she called me back and apologized, which I saw as God, just an amazing God thing. But that was still a big breaking point for me. Uh, I, I had so many times where it was just like, I, I had not revisited that sort of, and I'm going to call it what it is, madness, until I had COVID. And there was one night in the hospital where I, every hour on the hour, I watched the clock. <laughs> every hour on the hour, I was woken up to get stuck by some needle or measured for something or just asked how I was. And I just wanted to claw people's faces off. And I talked to mom in the morning and I was not in my right mind. I really wasn't. I, I was just mad and uh, stubborn and not seeing things for the way they should be. And then after they gave me the steroid, I was able to sleep and I slept for a few hours and I woke up and it's like my brain was back to where it needed to be. And I was able to reflect on that experience and go, wow, insanity is just uh, one night up away from me <laughs> depending on some things and so oh shoot where I, where was I going with this other than the fact that I, I have experienced that type of madness before I never want to go there again and God has saved me from that madness God has helped me get back to I would call it more of a middle position because uh, I, I never want to go back to where I was before where it's like I was trying to be such a perfectionist in my life I was like my friends like these things. Oh crap, maybe I can't be friends with them anymore because I have to be, I have to do this, I have to do that. This is what I want to do in my life. And it's like, oh wow, but I, how can I live in the world but be in the world? And it, it just was so, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And I still feel like there were some things that I learned in college that would be good for me to apply now. And it's a matter of figuring out how to apply them now but in a healthy way and not in an extremist way. <laughs> and yeah, I've, I've had a lot of, lot of learning to do in my life. And there was that, that was one of the only things that I can think of where I just kind of went absolutely crazy for a second. And uh, I was forced to just completely rely on God because I had nothing else. And he showed himself as the miracle worker that he is. Uh, and it, it's still a journey for me though. But that was one of the only times I could think of. But yeah, guys, I'm sorry if I'm rambling. It's just there, there's, my brain is a spider web. It is connected to multiple points. If you jump from one point, you there was a wonderful thing that, that one of my yeah. coworkers told me, Caroline, and this fits per perfectly with you. She said, a man's brain tends to be like a chocolate box. Mm -hmm. It's very compartmentalized. And a woman's and a woman's brain is spaghetti. Oh right, I'm spaghetti. And it's very yeah, true. I'm spaghetti. That actually came from uh, spaghetti, spaghetti, a psychiatrist spaghetti. that was going around the country doing a seminar. There's a there's some book that says that it says women's are women are spaghetti. Yeah. Well, I heard waffles. Men are waffles and women are spaghetti. So yeah, you don't have a spider web. You're just spaghetti. It's okay.
So, hmm. unless Liv is going to blow up her little question hand again, what would you say now you feel like your relationship is? And I know you've kind of answered this because we have been kind of going between. Yeah, spaghetti, spaghetti. Spaghetti, um, spaghetti. But we've kind of been jumping around. But how do you feel like your relationship is now? Do you feel like you have a more heart relationship than knowledge relationship? Do you feel like it's a kind of a nice balance of both? What do you feel like your relationship is now? It's definitely more heart, but I'm trying to figure out how to put this. I want to be even more involved. I I want to be reading his word more and putting it in my heart, not out of fear, but out of love and true desire. I am all about authenticity because I've always been a very authentic person. What you see is what you get. And although I... <laughs> I've learned how not to be so awkward and to just sort of spew out whatever I'm thinking because, you know, that's what a uh, only child who has been sort of kept from the world is like, you know what I mean? So uh, I want that authentic, more of that authenticity with him and more of that understanding and in individual relationship. And I'm still trying to get over a lot of those maybe hangups that I took away from college a lot of those extremist ideas trying to figure out what do I what is right in this correct context and what is something that that that's not even true guys like I see where you went to get that but that is so off the beaten path that doesn't align with what's going on just chill you know so that's kind of where I am right now I'm 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 picking apart the spaghetti and I'm putting it in neat, <laughs> what, nice little neat piles. What advice would you give to somebody who has so struggled with yeah. the same things that you have struggled with, whether it's divorce, anxiety, anything like that? You just asked me about like okay, huge things. Five that I minute talk about <laughs> ever. Um, uh, why don't we just do it of, I'm giving advice to Little okay, Caroline. These are going to be very specific and short things. You don't have to be perfect in order for people to like you. People will like you for who you are, even if it means that you're awkward and weird and annoying uh, because you haven't learned how to be that social person yet, and that's okay. You know, these things take time. Anger is not an evil emotion. Anger is fine. It means that you've been hurt and that you want that hurt to be fixed. What is not good is not talking about it and letting out how you feel to other people. Forgiveness does not mean that you suddenly like that person. Forgiveness means that you no longer uh, hold your own condemnation against them. You want them to get better. You want them to meet and experience and love Jesus just as much as you do. And uh, that doesn't mean that you now have to be their friends or that you even have to be around them at, during this earth at this time. God does not want you to be perfect in your own eyes. He wants you to be perfect in his. And his thoughts are above your thoughts. And that is a wonderful and liberating feeling. Be friends with more than just one person. Uh, it may take a little while, but if you think somebody is cool, talk to them. It's perfectly fine if you're the one who takes the first step in some of these things. Dropping your walls is a very hard thing to do, but... It'll be worth it when it happens. 
holding on to just one person isn't going to help. The only per- one person that you can hold on to is Jesus because he's the only person who is non-toxic in every single way. It gets better. Your, your body will follow through. It takes a while, but it, it does get better. Medicine is a beautiful thing and you shouldn't be afraid of using it in the correct way. Not that I've ever abused it. I'm, I'm just saying, like, if, if anybody out there is afraid of using medicine for stuff, just give it a try. According to doctor's orders, you might be surprised at what happens. Because it really, really, really helped for me. Um, Sorry. I thought, no, I thought John talking. still had me on mute. Sorry. Well, I'm talking. Wow, that's okay. a lot. Any last words, down? Caroline, before John leads us out? <laughs> That sounds like she's about to die. I I was about to say. Any um, last words before we end and terminate your life? (laughs) Parlay. No parlay. We're we're not on a ship. (laughs) No pirates. I'm hungry. No captains. (laughs) Just saying. That that would be my final word. Parlay. Parlay. Condemned to the depths. Be the man who thought of parlay. That'd be the French. Also in vinegar. All right, man. John. I like mine. Lead us out so we don't have to terminate Caroline. So I'm done. Aww. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of Call to the Table. <laughs> I mean, You're welcome. of course, then. But you kind of were needed to be here one way or another. <laughs> just, I'm just being polite. If you would like to get in contact with us for questions, comments, topic suggestions, definitely if you have concerns, or emotional, concerns outbursts, emotional outbursts, smart Alec remarks, please message us on Twitter at TableTeamC3T or on our Instagram at Call to the Table Pod. Join us for our next episode when we talk about dehumanization. Oh, the f- or don't. That's fine too. Like you don't have I to. Mean, I mean, I guess you don't to have to, but time. that's why I said. And you don't have to sound so upbeat about it, John. Uh, it's <laughs> Just okay. like join us next time when we talk about dehumanization. dehumanization. <laughs> uh, that's a heavy topic, guys. Yeah. Uh, j- just yeah, come come prepared. Come prepared. Yep. This is going to be a, a big one. All righty. <laughs> Bye. Bye. So, John, uh, let's talk more about dehumanization and the upbeatness about this.